appreciate that. Turn if you would. The pastor said, I can preach as long as I want. He said, uh, when you guys are done, you'll just leave. So, uh, but I can just keep preaching if I need to. So just kidding. Isaiah 6, I don't want it to be a long thought. I know how it is when after a big meal and then all of a sudden you sit down and uh, you're not singing anymore. You're not, you know, <laughs> you're just sitting and your body begins to relax and so do your eyes. And uh, so I don't want to keep you long. Isaiah chapter 6, um, I just want to share a, a simple thought with you uh, this afternoon. And because it's, yes, it is 4th of July, Independence Day and celebration, and it really doesn't have an, uh, you know patriotic tie to it, but you know, as a missionary, I think this is a very common passage, Isaiah chapter 6, especially verse 8. And we should all be familiar with it, which says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And, I, you know, that obviously is so applicable. And I'm sure we've heard it preached and taught many times during missions conferences or mission-themed messages. Um, and what an applicable passage, obviously, for it. Um, I really don't want to even focus on that portion of it as much as I want to kind of look back to, number one, apply it not just to missions and not just answering the call to missions or for missions, but rather really kind of answering the call to whatever God has for us, whatever it looks like. I was talking to a brother this afternoon and he was just talking about how what God was doing in his life and how he was growing him and how he brought him to this ministry and how he's grown since then and just hearing his testimony. I loved hearing his testimony and how God, but there, there took a point of saying yes in his life. And I really, really want to focus in on that, just saying yes to whatever God, God wants. My dad, I mentioned uh, that my dad passed away August 31st, 2015. Well, August 30th was a Sunday, so he gets up in the pulpit and he preaches Sunday morning and what God had led him to, to preach. And then uh, Sunday night he had a message prepared, but then he, he got behind the pulpit and really felt like, felt like the Lord was leading him away from the message that he had notes for. And he kind of set the message aside and just preached from his heart. He didn't have any points necessarily. Alliterated, it wasn't alliterated. He just preached from his heart. And, and the, the bottom line of his message and the thrust of his message was encouraging the people to walk on their own. He just said, I, I just, you need to hunger for God yourself. You have to want to walk. He said, I can't carry you anymore. And that's what he kept on coming back and saying. He was like, I can't carry you as the missionary anymore. I can't support this ministry just myself, uh, by myself. You have to, to trust God and step out by faith. And he goes, you can't depend on me for feeding you spiritually. You have to hunger yourself and feed yourself on your own. Obviously implying your own personal devotions, your own desire to know God and to walk with God. And he really just kind of preached that, that basic theme and that thought. And then he said at the very end of the message, which he had never done before, but he said, if you're willing to allow God to do with you whatever it looks like, no matter what it costs, would you get up from your seat and come forward and just stand as a testimony to God? And my mom, if you know my mom, being tender towards the Lord and just a, just a servant, she was the first one up out of her seat. 
She's a missionary living on the third world country. And she came forward desiring that God would do with her whatever his will was, whatever it cost. And then I think it was like four or five, maybe half dozen others came forward as well. And people who had felt burdened to get involved in the ministry but was scared to step out and trust God, and they came forward as well. And then he closed down the service, and he went home and uh, was feeling a little ill, went to the doctors. They didn't see anything. They said, everything's fine. He comes home, and he went to, goes to bed and woke up in glory. It, you know, first of all, that was what, how my dad wanted to go. He wanted to die serving God. And I don't know of a better picture of what he wanted was to preach his last message, led of the Holy Spirit of God, and then go home, go to sleep, and wake up in heaven. And no doubt, we had no idea what the will of God looked like for my mom. She would have never wished that upon herself. Um, And yet there was still a hunger to say yes to God. And I wonder in our own life, we see verse 8 many times and we go, wow, Isaiah... That's, that's wonderful and what a, a great admonishment to us and encouragement to us to say, yes, here am I, send me or do with me whatever you want. But before we get to verse 8, and I'm sure you've seen this and you know this passage, so I'm not going to pretend like you, you don't, but I do want to draw you back to verse 1. Because before you get to verse 8, you have to go through the first part of this chapter. In verse 1 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken uh, taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, This hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Then we come to verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I have um, several points here. I have five points, and I'm not going to emphasize each one of them, so don't worry. Okay? So if, if you're already nodding off, <laughs> I don't think you are. But, but I'm going to give them to you real quick. But I really just want to go back then and emphasize the first one and really just stop and focus on this first one. The points are simply this. Number one, in question two, why was Isaiah willing to say yes to God's leading? Why was Isaiah willing to say yes? I would say, number one, he saw the Lord in, in his rightful place. He saw the Lord in his rightful place. Number two, he saw himself in his rightful place. Number three, and these aren't alliterated. I would love to be able to alliterate a message. My pastor, he alliterates his prayers. 
I'm pretty sure he alliterates his dreams. It oozes from him, not me. But number three, he allowed God's cleansing God's way. He allowed God's cleansing God's way. Then number four, he heard the voice of God. And then number five, he answered the call. I really just want to stop because before we even really examine any of those other ones, we have to look at the first one where he saw the Lord in his rightful place. Now, let me say this real quick. We, we understand if you've been saved any length of time, you understand God is infinite. God, God is beyond, he's divine, and he is infinite, and we have a finite and limited mind. So we cannot comprehend God. So when I say, as the first point, he saw God in his rightful place, I understand the context. This was a supernatural event where he was given opportunity to see some things that we're not going to see. So I get that. But by way of application, I think it is very still applicable to us to desire to see God in his rightful place. Uh, number one, under that point, I would say that Isaiah saw the Lord as a supreme authority. He saw God as a supreme authority. Look in verse 1 where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, also the Lord, sitting upon a throne. That's a position of authority. Now, I think it's easy. How many of you have been in church for over 10 years? 15 years. Keep your hands up. 20 years. 25 years. 30 years. 35 years. 40 years. 45 years, 50 years, 55 years, 60 years, 65 years, 70 years, 75, 80, 85, 90. We have a winner. Can we get a prize or something? There's some history here. I think, and please understand, uh, hopefully you sense my heart in this. I'm not trying to be critical by any means. That's not my, my, my method or, or my intention. But I do. I, I mentioned it in Sunday school. I do want you to raise your hand when I ask a question, Nicole. Okay? How many of you b- believe uh, the will of God is perfect? How many of you, and, and just leave your hand up if you want. How many of you believe, you can lower it if you don't believe it, okay? Put everyone in the spot. How many of you believe that your will is not perfect? How how many of you believe the will of God is always right to follow? His timing is perfect, right? So given the experience that we all kind of testified of us being in church, this is not new. Now let's, let's really be transparent today, okay? And, and this is not, please... Trust me, it's not a trick question, okay? But, but be honest with yourself, because God knows, right? And I'm going to raise my hand, too. How many of you, maybe in the last couple of weeks, under the preaching of your pastor, or some lessons you heard, you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God to either add something to your life, maybe that, that you haven't been doing, maybe you need to do more of, or maybe something removed out of your life. It could be a sin, 
but sometimes there's just weights in our life that distract us. And you've been convicted over the last, say, two weeks, something in your life that you need to change. Raise your hand. That's a lot of hands. And that's wonderful to see because we should be stirred. Now, let's be really transparent. How many of you still have not done anything? From that time, with the, 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 the very thing that you were convicted. Now, listen, that doesn't mean we're all liars. That we don't believe God's will is perfect. We just said God's will is perfect and our will is flawed. And yet when the Holy Spirit of God convicted us to change something, we haven't changed it yet. Now, and, and like I said, my point is not to shame anyone. What I think the purpose is, is that it is kind of a reflection of growth, the Christian life in growth and maturity. And we're never going to see God rightfully and clearly in his infinite place as he is uh, Lord of all and creator of all until we have a glorified body and until we're standing in the presence of God. But that does not negate our responsibility to desire or should desire to draw closer to him, to see him as a supreme authority and desire truly that we would on a daily basis or weekly basis, see those areas where we're holding back and desire to surrender even more to God. You understand what I'm saying? There should be that desire to, yes, see Him, but then also treat Him as a supreme authority. I think probably one of the biggest challenges maybe we have is responding quickly to the Spirit of God's pricking in our heart. Anyone else struggle with that like I do? It is, it is that constant surrender. Now, granted, you guys are here. It's after 2 o'clock, after a big meal on an afternoon. There, there maybe were others who left, but you, you stayed. I think the reason is, is because we do desire to serve God. We do desire to, to live for Him. But let us not ever just start coasting in our Christian life. But stir up within us a hunger to know him more. Especially if you've been in church for decades, you're, you know some things, right? We've read probably the Bible through multiple times, cover to cover. We've heard so many lef- lessons repeated over and over. We've heard many of, the, many of the same themes preached over and over. And yet, there is still a desire or a need for us to draw closer. And, listen, to learn more about God. Especially those of you who've been married for any length of time understand the you're not learning your, your spouse the way you first did when you met, but you should still be learning and desiring to draw closer to your spouse, that that relationship would be sweeter. Isaiah saw the Lord in his rightful place. He saw him as a supreme authority. Look at, look at verse 2. It says, Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. There's a reason why the seraphims were covering their face because there was a fearful reverence. And I think that's another point is that he saw the Lord as being fearfully reverenced. Fearfully reverenced. Turn, if you would, to uh, Proverbs. I want to quickly kind of show you something that um, I had never seen before. 
For me, it was new. And this is, this is a proverb, I understand. And so this is not, there are eight points that, and I'm just going to hit them really fast. So don't, <laughs> don't get discouraged. I say eight points, people are like, oh. <laughs> How long is this message going? I have to leave by five, so I will be done by then. <laughs> Proverbs chapter two, look at verse one. Now I want to just point out quickly, and I'm going to quickly define these things. And as best as I can, I'm just going to show you This is what I want you to capture from this passage real quick, okay? There is some intensity. I want you to see the motivation behind the the statement. There is a driving depth to the motivation. So look at at, at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words. The word receive means to, to grab, to accept, to carry away, to seize. Okay, so it's not just holding out a hand as someone would go, oh, hey, did you get one of these? Oh, no, I don't, I don't know. What is that? It's to grab onto, to latch. It's like little kids when they see candy, you know. How many of you, and they're like, ah, as much as you can. Okay, like with a uh, pinata falls, they're not grabbing one. They're like, they're not sifting through. Hmm, which one? No, I don't care for that one. I don't care. For that. They're, <laughs> they're grabbing, right? They're seizing that up. That's the same idea. So look, if that will receive my words or seize it up, grab it quickly, the words of God, and hide my commandments with thee. The word hide, it means to hoard or to protect. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, The Hoarders. Uh, I know of it. I really haven't watched a lot of it or anything, but, but we understand what hoarding is. It is just grabbing it and holding on to it, right? Collecting, hoarding, or to protect. So it's receiving the words of God, watch, and hiding it, hide my commandments with thee, or that hoarding, watch, that's two, so that thou, number three, incline thine ear unto wisdom. The word incline means to, uh, to give heed. Or in other words, it's like this. I use this example sometimes. If I, if I said, uh, you know, I, I grab someone, Rich or, or Nick, and I, and I said, hey, uh, I got a prize for you. I got, I got a prize. It's $1,000. It's in an envelope, and it's waiting for you. But you got to find it, okay? So here's some instructions. I want you to go out to the hallway, hang it right out the door. You're going to go down the sidewalk. You're going to see a bush over in the... And, you're gonna, and if I start giving details, you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to go... <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. What was that? I I apologize. I missed that first part. You know what they're going to do? They're going to give heed. They're going to listen with intent to follow, which leads right into the next one. So it's giving or inclining thy ear unto wisdom and applying thine heart to understanding. In other words, put it into action, right? So you have received my words, hide my commandments with thee, incline thine ear unto wisdom, apply or put it into action, thine heart to understanding. By the way, don't forget or don't lose, don't don't get distracted from the words that I'm focusing on as much as the content that it's linked to the statement. Receiving the words of God, hiding my commandments with thee, inclining thine ear to wisdom. You'll find in Proverbs the wisdom the understanding, the knowledge, all centers around the person of God. 
in other words, it's not just general knowledge. It's not just general understanding. It's learning more about God. And then it says, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. The word Christ is very interesting. You know what the word Christ means? It means to encounter in a hostile manner. Okay, so church, look. There's an aggression to have the knowledge of God. Knowledge about God. There's a a encountering with a hostile uh, encounter, a hostile manner. And then it says, um, Christ after knowledge, liftest up thy voice for understanding. The word liftest. Now, are you seeing the depth or the motivation rather behind these words? The word liftest means to avenge. What is, what's motivating behind someone avenging someone else? If someone were to hurt my daughter, I've used this as an example. If someone were to hurt my daughter, you know, you fathers who have daughters, I think you understand something happened when your daughter was born. I had this weird confusion of feelings of absolute love and adoration to my daughter. And of course, the more she, she grew, holding her as a little baby, but then as she a little girl coming in and going, Daddy, do you like my dress? And she just wanted me to look and go, oh my goodness, you're so pretty. And she smile and then run off to her room or something that she had done or she wanted to crawl up in her. She's 16 and going to be 17 in December. She still hugs my neck and I hope it always happens that way. There, there is something that as a father, I have a, a weird, protective, absolute love that cannot be described to if anyone touches her, I'll just kill them. <laughs> I, you know, I heard some dad go, I'm pretty good with a sniper rifle. And I'm like, I'm not using a sniper rifle. I'm using my hands. And I want to get up close and personal because I want to see the life fade out of their eyes up close. Oh, it'd be, be funny if I was joking, huh? As a dad, I'm not saying that spiritual church. Please don't say that. I'm not trying to be spiritual. I'm just telling you in my flesh. And, and I'm, here's, here's the transparency in all honesty. If something were to happen, God would have to intervene. Because the natural tendency as a father is to avenge. I found out someone hurts my, my daughter. <laughs> Run and keep running. Uh, and I, I will find you. That kind of motivation, church, is what, I, what this passage is really, look, lifting up thy voice for understanding. It's this driving, insane motivation that no one can stop or detour. And then it says, and then look at these next couple of pictures here. If thou seekest her as silver, searchest her for his, as hid treasures. We understand that very easily. Being... being um, motivated by treasure, lost treasure, searching and seeking for, for treasure, for silver. Now watch, there's eight steps there. And, and I understand it's a Proverbs, but still there is a picture being portrayed here of intensity to know God. Then, verse 5, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. 
and find the knowledge of God. Imagine if you were there, were, there were eight steps in front of me and I had to get through all eight of them in this motivation, in this fight, in this struggle for the Word of God, the knowledge of God, understanding, wisdom, and, and applying those things to my heart. And then I finally get through all of this, this driving motivation and I come up, up upon a door and above the door says the fear of the Lord. What did it say, church? All of that leads us up to then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord. Turn back, if you would, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. All of that kind of driving motivation brings you up to the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the beginning of knowledge. Now, listen, I'm not saying these are eight clear steps that we have to do, but what I do believe this passage is really dictating for us is that in order for us to really have accurately the fear of the Lord in, in our lives, and by the way, how many of you can define the fear of the Lord? Don't raise your hand. Because as I read the scriptures, I'm pretty sure we don't know fully what the fear of the Lord is. Because I don't know that any one of us really truly have the fear of the Lord. And I don't know that we can fully have the fear of the Lord until we're standing before the presence of God fully. But that should not slow us down from desiring to know Him more and in the process of getting to know Him more, in the process of hungering to, to have the presence of God in our life and to sense Him more in our lives and to learn more through His Word brings an understanding of the fear of the Lord and that starts the beginning of really understanding God. And I, I fear in my own life and I fear in our society today the reason why we have so many anemic Christians is because we have too many Christians who aren't hungry enough to stay faithful in His Word. Now, I, and again, how many of you still, there's still life itself gets in the way. You know that to be true. Life just gets in the way, which means there's more of an intent. We have to, on purpose, not just read our Bible, not just check our devotions off, but connect with God on a daily basis. That's why it's essential for us. So we talk about Isaiah's willingness to say, yes, here am I, send me, or, or saying yes to God. It really comes down to the fact that Isaiah started seeing God in his rightful place. And when we say that, we're talking about he's seen God as a true, a supreme authority. And he also saw, saw God as fearfully reverenced. Number three, verse three, back in our text, if you would, Isaiah chapter six. I'll give you a moment just to get back there. Isaiah chapter six, verse three. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He saw the Lord as infinitely glorious. I don't know that any of us would consciously say we fully understand God, but I, I think it might be easy subconsciously for those of us who have been in church a long time, to think that we understand God. But I think it'd probably be good for us to remember that God is infinite. And if God is infinite and we're finite, infinite means what? 
Exactly. Everlasting. Forever. Without end. You cannot define anything that is infinite. You can only describe it. You cannot define it. So what we call his attributes, that's our human's human perspective and feeble attempt to try to describe an infinite God. We say attributes, talking of his, his grace or his mercy or his justice or his, his purity or his holiness. Those attributes are also infinite. You understand that? That's why it says his mercy, uh, for his mercy endureth forever. Have you ever stopped to think, have you ever struggled with that phrase? Let me ask you this. Have you ever struggled with that phrase, his mercy endureth forever? Knowing that at some point, there's times where he judges. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God judges, did his mercy end? Because mercy is not getting what we deserve, right? That is our limited understanding of how the attributes or God's character exists within himself. We can only display one attribute of ourself at a time. Well, not necessarily, but uh, certainly when it comes to uh, judging or correcting and mercy uh, and with a parent, we would give mercy to a child, not give him a spanking or not correct him or not do something that they should have gotten and we're going to show some mercy this time. But at some point, you know what, you did it one too many times, uh, go to your room. The mercy ends and the judgment occurs or the correction. But that's not the same as God because God's mercy is always present. And his love is always present. And his judgment is always present. But what we happen to see at the moment is what we're describing being uh, illustrated or exemplified in front of us. I'm not, I'm not here to confuse you. But what I am saying is that because God is infinite, it would be good for us to not try to put God in a box. Or even his attributes of his grace and his mercy and his love. Because None of those attributes, because they are from him and outpoured from him, we cannot de define it. We can only describe it. Even 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we say it's the love chapter is not a definition of love. It's only a description of God's love. It's a this is things that we observe. It's, it's, it's a patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. It's these descriptions of a divine or an agape love. Am I making sense? It would, it, that's what I'm saying is when we're drawing closer to God, we're, yes, seeing Him as an authority, and yes, we are seeing Him as fearfully reverenced, but we're also defining and bringing into our understanding that He cannot be defined. We can only sit back and observe the greatness and His infinitude being displayed in front of us. And so when we experience the grace of God or we experience the mercy of God, is because He is everlastingly merciful and gracious and He pours those things out. And even when He corrects us as a Heavenly Father, loving Heavenly Father, He is still doing it in love and grace and, and merciful. And church, the closer we can draw to God, 
the more we will see him for who he is, the more we'll be willing to allow God's will to be realized in us. There's so much more, and, and this is honestly, and, and this please understand, this is an honest statement, a really feeble attempt to try to describe these passages, but our point is that, my goodness, you know, we all really look good in the dark. I was, I was talking to Brother Hugo's kids and uh, <laughs> talking about when I was a young person, I had hair. And I had a really nice head of hair, and uh, it was back in the uh, mid-90s where it was, uh, it was a little bit longer on top, and, and I thought it was really cool, so I had it long enough to be able to run my hands through it. And, and now if I did that, I'd have to grow up my eyebrows, because that's the only thing I'm going to be able to run my hands through. And, and uh, um, I have no idea what illustration that was for. What was I? Um, wow, really, honestly, I just <laughs> lost my train of thought. Oh, oh, the fact that we all look good in the dark. Um, it's when the light is on, I see, I see me for who I am. You ever been to a hotel or been to a certain place and the mirror and the lighting was amazing? <laughs> I look dark. I actually look pretty good. And then there's other light and you're like, this light is so harsh, which means equals, interprets, I look horrible in this mirror. The more light there is, the more flaws we see. So it's so easy for us to be critical of everyone around when we stand back and we go, mm, well, I mean, I'm not the greatest Christian. I'm not. But they need to get it together. And all of a sudden, we start being very critical of the people around us. And our response or, or, or Isaiah's response was, all of a sudden, he started seeing God for who he was. What was his assessment of himself? Oh, what was me? Look at this, church. So uh, we see in verse 5, Isaiah says, what was me? Turn back, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 5. And I want to quickly just point you to several phrases. Look at verse 8. Woe unto them that join house to house. And we're not even going to read the rest of the verse. Woe unto them. Verse 11. Woe unto them. Drop down to verse 18. Woe unto them. Verse 20. Woe unto them. Verse 21. Woe unto them. Verse 22. Woe unto them. And by the way, everything that he said was exactly right. He was accurate in what he was saying. But I find it amazing that all of a sudden chapter 6 occurs and he sees God for who he is and he's not saying woe was them anymore. He's saying woe was me. You know, it should throw a red flag up for all of us when we start being critical and we start noticing everyone else's flaws and, and not seeing our own, overlooking our own flaws and our own weaknesses. And we would all agree and admit, oh, I'm not perfect. No, 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 I'm not implying I'm perfect. But we don't see our own flaws or weaknesses. We're seeing everyone else's. You know what the problem is probably and what the problem has been in my own life? I need to draw closer to God. I'm not as close to God as I need to be. Isaiah saw the Lord in his rightful place. Then he saw himself in his rightful place. And, and when you see your, your limited abilities and when you see your own flaws and your own weaknesses and the fact that, that you have a wicked heart and you're not anything like 
the holiness of God, then you'll be quicker to accept God's healing and correcting in your life. The third thing where where Isaiah allowed God's cleansing God's way, and, and again, I'm moving through these points quickly where he allowed a, a seraphim to come and take a live coal and touch his lips and so forth. And I think, I think it's so funny how we can be so harsh on someone else, but we want people to be kind to us when helping us out. Isn't that funny? We're just so hypocritical, aren't we? <laughs> We're so hypocritical. But again, the solution isn't working back. The solution isn't, the first thing isn't saying, church, we need to raise our hands and say yes, Send me or say yes to God in whatever else and, and allow God's cleansing. And working our way back will not bring the same results. But if we're first prioritized with knowing God more and drawing closer to God, everything else falls into place. And I'm not implying, church, that we're going to get it right or that we're going to see every flaw in our own life or we're going to see every holiness and aspect of God the way we're supposed to. But I do promise that when I draw closer to God, God does a work in my own heart and changes my own perspective in light of his purity. And when I stop seeing that and I start noticing everyone else's flaws and when I start patting myself on the back because I'm just a good guy, I realize I've drawn away and I'm not looking at at the Lord like I need to. And yes, absolutely, we need more people going to the field, but my goodness, we need people in our communities right here in Washington. I just heard some preachers at a preacher's conference from South Carolina, and they, they were saying, how long have you been here, Pastor Reno? Where did you come from? Wisconsin. I had our uh, pastor from South Carolina said, there is something about Washington State that's dark. He lives on the border of Idaho and Washington. He said he can cross over to the Idaho border and not feel the oppression that he feels when he crosses back over to the Washington side. This is a hard place. You know, really, I was struggling with how to even soul win out in the South because everyone's saved. I, 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 was, I, was, I was confused. I didn't know what to say. I was just like, uh, yeah, we're, we're traveling through. Do you, are you from this area? No, we're actually traveling through. We're going to Honduras uh, we're, as missionaries. Praise the Lord at a gas station. Praise the Lord. Do you go to church? Yeah, I know the Lord is my Savior. All right. Okay. Here's the track anyways. Oh, I will. I, I've had multiple people from just stores go, I'll pray for you. Now, it's the South, so they probably won't. <laughs> They're probably just being kind and saying that. I don't know. It was really confusing. But th- this is a hard place. The solution for any place you go, draw closer to God. Just get closer to God. He'll do whatever changes he needs to in your life. He'll reveal whatever flaws he's got to change and take care of. But we won't allow him and, we won't, and he won't get the glory if we're too consumed about us and not consumed about him. As our God. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for this church and the encouragement and the light it has been in this community and in this area. Thank you for the friendship, 
Pastor Reno and the church and, and uh, love they have for you. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless this church, continue to give wisdom, discernment to Pastor Reno as he, he guides the church, desiring to fulfill your will. Father, in our own personal lives, it's so easy to allow life's weights and ebbs and flows, ups and downs of life to sometimes distract us. I pray we just get rebalanced and refocused upon the things that are most important. And honestly, Lord, it's just seeing you more for who you are. Help us to hunger for your word, for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And only as you can open our eyes and our understanding to who you are. And then Holy Spirit of God, convict us. Please convict us daily. Prevent us from making the, the horrible mistakes or wrong decisions that would, would distract us and get us imbalanced or send us off in the wrong area. I pray you'd convict us. By your grace and by your mercy, put a hedge of protection about us. Father, that we would hunger to know you more, and in doing so, you would receive the glory and the honor. Let's do your name. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor.